0: Greetings, I'm Keith Klein, the host of the His podcast, where I interview the most fascinating people in the tech scene. This is episode 130, and today's guest is Eddie Geller, co-founder and CEO of Tiny Beans. Eddie is a serial entrepreneur who is originally from Australia. He founded his first company, a software development services firm called Unique World, in 1999 with just $5,000 in the bank. By the time he sold the company, he had grown the business to $15 million with nearly 100 employees. Tiny Beans is a company that is dedicated to storing family memories through its secure photo sharing platform and mobile app. Every day, millions of people, including celebrities, politicians, and high-profile families, rely on Tiny Beans as their primary platform for capturing, storing, and sharing their children's life stories. It's definitely one of those products that I wish existed when my kids were much younger. In this episode of our podcast, we cover lots of great topics, like the importance of having a transparent company culture, the story of building and scaling unique worlds to an exit, the background story of tiny beans and how eddie got involved plus the current state of their business and scale the benefits of having a concentrated rather than a general audience for your user base and so much more okay quick side note if you have been enjoying the venture podcast then please leave us a five-star review on itunes the more reviews we have the more that people will discover these amazing stories about entrepreneurs across the new york tech ecosystem thanks in advance we appreciate your support all right without further ado here's my interview with eddie Eddie thanks so much for joining us
1: yeah thanks so much for having me great to be here
0: Um, so we have got a lot to talk about as far as the different companies that you have started or you've been a part of but uh, one of the things that I noticed about you is uh, you know you've written about or you've spoken about uh, the importance of of having a culture that's very transparent and then also you know leading by example in that way of thinking so why do you think that's so important
1: I guess um, you know my background I've always been entrepreneur always built businesses I guess one of the key things I've always learned through working with people and dealing with people is that, you know, the only way to scale is really empowering people to be in the position to make decisions. And the only way really for them to make the best decisions at the time is with all the information they have. And often i found that the decision was made with information they had, but if they had additional information or additional understanding, they would make even better decisions that would lead to better things for them and the company. And so I've always been a big believer of, um, of offering more context to the person and educating them, and providing more, um, I guess, uh, I guess, you know, really just education about what else is going on in the company and potentially the market for them to be better informed to make better decisions. So, for example, yeah, and again, my last company, example, what would happen is that would win a big deal, and let's say it was like a five hundred thousand dollar deal. Although the previous quarter was lousy, people would go, "Oh, can I go to training? Can I do this? Can I do that?" And we're like, "Well, no." Like, we've just come out of a dark period. We've closed this business, but like, we just kind of, you know, closed this big business. And we're like, yeah, but we've just closed it. We haven't done anything. There's no cash in the bank. And people are like, no, don't you get the cash straight away? And I'm like, no. no. <laughs> so, so, really, it, it taught me so much that there really is never been, these are smart people, just never actually been educated. Just never actually, you know. So, I learned through this wonderful, um, uh, I guess, the master of open book management, Jack Stack. i um, not sure if you've heard of him. He's written books called The Great Game of Business, and it's all about teaching people the business literacy and, literacy and financial literacy and just how, to, how does the business work and what are the financial numbers. And I was a big subscriber, a big believer, read the books, you know, signed up and, and did a huge amount of work, even went to visit him. So now I'm a big believer of open book to the point of teaching everyone everything as much as possible for them to make the best decision at the time. And then when I did that, people were like, you know, they understood, they didn't ask me for training, didn't ask me for raises, if the financials weren't good. And the flip side, they appreciated delays in payments, impacted the company and impact them. So so that sort of taught me that transparency is actually an enabler as opposed to an inhibitor. And I think a lot of business people think that, oh, no, no, I can't share anything. And I'm the opposite, I wanna share everything. Because the more I share, the more trust they have in me and the company And basically they're in a better position to make the, you know, the best decisions.
0: Yeah. And it's the decisions for uh, themselves as far as Mm -hmm. the right fit for them, but also the decisions around the business too. I had the uh, the founders of Wistia on, on the podcast and same type of philosophy where they're very transparent and open. And then they instilled like a profit sharing program where now all of a sudden the employees not only know the revenue and expense line items, but they're making important decisions that help save the company money that ultimately, benefit them in profits so it's just uh, it's good all around
1: yeah totally uh, um, I've got a similar story my last company um, was a consulting company and we also opened up the book, books and had all the P&L and, and we had a printing line item and it was $18,000 a year and we said, we said to the admin person hey why don't you own that line item and figure it out and, 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 and she's like okay so I can do anything possible to reduce that cost I'm like whatever it's your line item and you own it she came back and got it down to 1500 bucks a year <laughs> <laughs> so that's 16 and a half grand to the bottom line right. and you know all she did instead of four printers there was one and made a double-sided default black <laughs> that's it yeah and, and it's so great. profound but so basic and again as just example when you when you empower people to own something they have information they can you know really do amazing things so i love the bonus thing as well it's awesome
0: yeah now let's let's rewind the clock so uh sure. So where'd you grow up? What were you like as a kid?
1: <laughs> you probably tell by my weird accent, or some people say, you've got such a weird accent. I'm, I'm like, so I've got the weird accent and you don't, right? That's, that's <laughs> kind of weird that you say that. No, so i um, born and raised out of Sydney. Um, Aussie through and through, first generation families out of Europe. Um, parents are from the Ukraine, but I, I was born and raised out of Sydney. Not sure if you've been there, but like the Bondi, Bondi Beach are the beaches of Sydney. So really, you know, very um, warm environments. And I was really where, I grew up um, and, you know, my wife and kids are all from there. Um, so, uh, so originally from Australia and then moved over to New York uh, just under five years ago um, okay. to, uh, to uh, you know, my wife and kids live here now to build out the business of Tiny Beans, which obviously we'll, we'll get to later on, but that's originally out of Sydney.
0: So you, you studied mathematics and, and computer science in, in college. So what, what did that always come natural to you?
1: Um, well, studied is probably a strong term, I would say, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, but, uh, yeah, I, was all, I, I always found math pretty, um, uh, easy in terms of it coming to me. And at the time I was fascinated by computers, really, I guess this is 1992, you know, computers used to be massive and big and slow. Um, so, uh, so I was fascinated by them, which is really the only reason why I got into it. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, I sort of fell into sort of the degree and, Degree that never quite finished. Um, I never, I never really enjoyed college or uni in Australia. Um, I never really, uh, you know, I was never one of those kids who learnt from reading or being spoken to. I was always one of the kids that actually had to do it themselves and try and fail and learn. So I remember buying books of internet programming and learning, you know, myself as really the the main way to learn. I was never, you know, I was, know um, typically read a page and have to read it three or four times for it to register and. So you know, it was definitely one of those kids that never quite digested lots of content. Yeah. yeah I was fascinated by, by computers. Sorry.
0: I'm the same way more of a yeah. visual learner by in- uh-huh. doing type learner versus a textbook learner.
1: So. That's quite interesting because at school. I don't think, I don't even think now they differentiate. Like you, know, you still have to learn, everyone has to learn the same way. And it's so bad because people just learn in all different ways. Um, mm-hmm. So, so yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, I think with the programs that exist now, like Khan Academy, I think I would have like, you know, been able to use that as like a a resource on the side to, for me to, you know, pick up the concepts faster. But, um, Very so, cool. what, so what did you do? Like, like first jobs? Cause it, it, based <laughs> on my research, you know, you started your company, um, in 1999. So there was something you were doing in between.
1: Yeah, sure. So, so I guess, I, um, the, the, uh, the internet, um, I fell over the internet in 1994. Um, and just like felt, just fell in love with it. So I was always a bit of a tinkerer in uh, setting up computers. So my first business was, uh, was a company called Eddie's Internet Solutions, and I would go to people's houses and set up the internet for them. Um, so from the years of like '95 through to '98, um, that's what I would do. And I would do like basic web pages, and um, and I, you know, I started working for a web company and. I just, yeah, just just really loved um, the internet and everything that offered it and, you know, uh, and setting up web pages for people and, and setting up computers for them. So I sort of, and I, I even remember standing at the at the local bus station handing out pamphlets um, for getting into this internet superhighway <laughs> at the time and all the fancy buzzwords at the time um, for about 20 bucks a month, classic days. But yeah, it's all sort of, you know, got into it and then through that lens um just was doing more and more websites for people and then and then you know started my first web company in 99 and we were just a web company and we developed websites for for anyone and i guess in those days as you probably remember like everyone had to have a website they didn't know why but they had to and i guess we the dot com times we sort of rode and and went up and we went just hard as hard down as everyone else <laughs> i think we calculated i think we worked out in 2001 which is sort of our third year, sixty percent of our clients didn't exist anymore.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah so
1: yeah, I mean, if I remember those days that basically people raised a ton of money and they they wasted it, really, and we developed you know lots of web stuff for them and and that was sort of the incarnation of unique world it was a web development business, and then we you know as we sort of morphed, we moved much more into sort of software development, and then we had a lot of Indian outsources coming to Australia. And they started to commoditize software development, so we knew we had to go up the value chain to add more relationship engagement. So we then moved into business consulting and more strategy work, and hired people around that. And instead sort of we, we sort of um, ended up uh, growing quite nicely. And um, we're doing a lot of large programs for like companies like your PwC and Kellogg, and and it was really exciting. I think we grew to about I don't know, 80, 90 people, um, and then um, and we definitely I think there were three times where we nearly went out the back door one time where I had to put the house on the line to pay salaries the next day. Wow! And um, as you know, you know, an entrepreneur, you know, you go through the, I mean, they're the, the testing times. And I, I reflect now and I'm like, geez, I was crazy. I can't believe I did that. But at the time, it was the most obvious, most sane thing to do. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, um, but uh, yeah, we obviously got through it. But yeah, definitely there were some trying times in any company.
0: So in Australia, was it similar to like in the US with that whole, you know, 1999, every company was raising just tons of money and just trying to take on the world of, of, of the internet. And then, uh, you know, companies like, you know, the infamous like pets.com and, you know, going Mm -hmm. public and not having any revenue type of stuff. Was that similar to what was going on in, in Australia too?
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, um, not to the same level, of course. Obviously, smaller market, but 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 we definitely were attached in some degree. There were definitely companies raising a ton of money. Um, I remember one called YQ.com, and uh, it's quite clever. Literally, the letters YQ, but the YQ is like YQ uh, in Australia. Like you, you you line up in a queue as opposed to you get in line. So that so the word queue is like a queue. So YQ in line, and you can buy it online. And they raised a ton of money. They were going to be the, of course, the Amazon. Of the time in Australia. And again, you know, two years in, they were at the back door. I think they spent, they told us, $400,000 on new workstations and new, um, <laughs> and like physical furniture. And we're like, what? <laughs> like, I mean, in, anyway, but I'm sure there's many, you know, stories like that in those days when people just thought there was an unlimited supply of cash, right? Um, but yeah, it was definitely very similar. And we rode that way because companies would come to us and say, Hey, can you build a website for a million dollars? And we're like, yes, please. Um, and we would do that stuff. But you know, in 2001, it, it hit us hard in 2002 and, um, and yeah, I remember having to do some you know, pretty you know, significant cost cutting to survive like everyone did, but uh, we got through it. But yeah, it was tough. Well,
0: but you started the company at a relatively young age. So how did you know how to, how to manage the business through those ups and downs? lots of mistakes
1: (laughs) (laughs) i mean again like uh, you know uh, i guess i guess one of the things that um i mean my parents you know each individually had their own businesses i mean my mom had a delicatessen and i remember being in the shop at eight years old and being over the counter serving so always like you know i guess the sales and the service was always innate and my dad was a carpenter and he had a a kitchen business, uh, like a, a, um, a uh, you know, it was a gardening business. Unfortunately that went um, uh, south and I saw him go through a brood trying time and losing the whole business. And I guess that taught me a lot in terms of dealing with people and managing risk and figuring out what works and what doesn't. But again, like lots of mistakes. I mean, we, I remember hiring a, um, this head of sales for us. who used to run um, Microsoft sales for what New suppliers the biggest state in Australia. And I was talking to Thaddeus, I'm like, oh my God, like you run Microsoft sales like the, and I'm going to hire you and my business is going to go berserk. Like, oh my God, I can't believe this. You know, he was on this massive salary and, and he was with me for six months, did not close one deal.
0: Oh, he no. nearly sent me <laughs> south
1: because of how much it cost me to bring him on board. And the number one thing I didn't quite realize is that when he was at Microsoft, he had his business card said Microsoft. <laughs> so everyone saw him. This, the business card he had with me was unique. wall. It's like, you know hey, you know, you're unique, well, that's cool, but you're not Microsoft anymore, no thanks. So again, like, you know, <laughs> there's no there's no better school than the school of hard knocks, sadly. So um, lots of uh, challenges, but again, like, I've always been a believer of, of like, just dealing with the, the, the challenge and just moving on. Um, uh, always being this in- extreme optimist. My friends, you know, um, you know, they're saying, you know, glass half full, glass half empty. People say to me, I just need a drop. Um, and, I'm, I'm, and I'm optimistic I don't even need the glass half full wow <laughs> um, that's awesome the optimism so I, I don't know that's the strength and the weakness it's, you see positivity everywhere but sometimes you see it so and you're blinded by the 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 risks uh, with it so you know, as I've gotten older with different businesses I've tried to get better but the optimism is definitely uh, something I've always been very strong with
0: well you sold the business in 2011 so what did you do after that
1: um I uh I took six months off <laughs> which was wonderful it was the classic now wife um after six months off and it's funny i came to new york in 2012 with my wife um uh, sort of on a holiday and um and yeah just you know just fell in love with this with, with the, the city of course and 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 Stephen was said to me hey you're not doing anything why don't you just move here and do something um and and that sort of got me onto some sort of you know bug in my system to go and maybe i should but then came back and, and, and we have like four kids, right? So, so Mitch, my wife goes, well, I'm not moving for you to figure it out. You got to figure it out before we move. Um, so, uh, so then, um, got involved with this incubator, which was at the time sort of pretty early on in Australia. And they were, they were betting on startups and mine said, Hey, putting a bit of money in this incubator and then that'll be your sort of your avenue to get involved with the startup community again and see what you like. And so got involved with this incubator called uh push start at the time. And, and then they um you know we were we rather um we we invested in eight companies, and tiny beans was one of them and through that sort of lens and opportunity, got to know stephen and 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 Sarah Jane, the original founders, and sort of helped them out part time and they went all in a year later, so that was sort of you know after taking some time off, I always had to to do something else, I just didn't know what and and then decided to get involved with with tiny beans um full time um, yeah.
0: So, what's the origin story of, of Tiny Beans? Like, what led them down the path to create the company?
1: Yeah, it's it's a it's a great story. actually. So, Stephen um, a Young, he's the original founder. So, the genesis is actually through his kids, of course. So, his um his uh, when his first child his his child was uh was speech delayed um and was sort of three years old and not and not uh, talking and sort of you know r- chased around all these specialists to try and help him out and and really um there was nothing really there out there for him and he worked out that. So basically, kids grow up at different um, stages, and sometimes they're advanced in fine motor, and sometimes they're delayed in speech. And naturally, he developed the speech, and naturally, you know, he caught up. And ironically, I also—I mean, talked at three. I think I've caught up since then. But, but um, but uh, yeah. So that was in 2000, and I think 2000 and and 2007. He created this online site where you could check off milestones as a parent to go, how is your child growing up? It didn't really take off, and he sort of parked the idea. And then for the clock, 2011, he had his third child. His friends were creating this online blog around their sort of, you know, the child's experience, and he was too lazy to do it. So wanted to create a simple app that you could add a photo and email them to the grandparents every day rather than, you know, do this, this blog. And then so the genesis is really this very simple way in which you capture a photo a day. And it automatically emails the family all those photos, and then that's the genesis of where Tiny Beans came from. So really, the, the Tiny Beans is there to solve two problems. One is this very simple, private way of sharing a child's life in a very, you know, um, non-technical way. So a 97-year-old great grandmother can use it on email, and the other part is around how do we help parents understand the different stages of a child's life and their milestones. And those two really, those two, I guess, aspects of of his boys are really sort of the genesis of of what Tiny Beans is really about.
0: Yeah. So so what what what's the current like state of the company as far as the product and what you guys do?
1: Sure. Um. So uh. So we're um uh, three and a half million users now. Um. And basically, it's it's grown really nicely. And look, I mean, at a very high level, you know, we took we basically say Tiny Beans this incredible private space where you can capture everyday memories of your kids and and, uh, and share with, um, I guess, uh, your family only. And then through that experience, we offer content, products and services to help them in the journey of parenting. Because we know as parents um, that parenting is tough and every kid is different and every stage is different. And there's a huge amount of stuff out there for them. And we want to basically curate and integrate that through your um, experience through parenting. So we want to, you know, you know, our vision and mission is like, how do we create this incredibly private space that is trusted? And then through that lens, be able to offer you all sorts of things for your children. Um, and that's really a key part of it. So, we're all about this promise where you own everything you add, you controller gets to see it and will never sell your data. Um, and I think that's really interesting. I mean, that was always been the sort of the, the genesis and really the, the backstory of Tiny Beans. But it's interesting how now it's becoming more relevant with obviously privacy being such a a bigger topic with all the, the bigger networks out there. We've always been about privacy and we've always felt that something like your child's life should always be private.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's you know, putting your photos of your children up, you wanna make sure that it's trusted and that the right eyes are seeing it. And I think it's interesting how you guys also are like a, a trusted curator of, mm-hmm. uh, you know, because obviously there's a there's a business model to actually, you know, make money for Tinybean. And so, so how does that all work out as far as the content or advertising? Sure.
1: sure. Great question. So basically we generate revenue largely two ways with sort of a smaller supporting way. So the smaller smaller thing is people want to get printing stuff done. So we do printing a photo book. So that's pretty small part of the revenue stream, roughly 5%. Uh, we then have a have a premium version of the app, so it's free for everyone to use, um, and all the base features are free. But then you can upgrade to a paid premium version of the experience, and um, uh, you know about roughly uh, about um, uh, let's calculate about 20% of users have access to a premium account. Um, so uh, so premium just gives us a whole bunch of additional features over and above the free version. Um, but um, the largest revenue stream is driven by advertising. So advertising is driven by really, uh, you know, two ways. One is programmatic ads, so display ads are delivered to free users, and then we have the brand partnership, um, uh, type type deals, where we basically do a lot of custom content, and we'll integrate the custom content experience. So, for example. Uh, Lego is one of our clients. Um, we do a lot of work with them around helping parents around milestone developments. So we've done a whole bunch of custom content to go, hey, your child's 18 months old. Here's some great content and some great activities sponsored by Lego to really help them in the journey of, of milestone development. And that's sponsored by a brand. So, um, you know, so all the users get that because it's targeted content. So, that's, so largely we see the advertising being, being the major part of the, the revenue stream.
0: you've you've done a a great job of building up a user base and not only is it um you know consumers that are using it but there's some really notable you know names out there that are tiny beans uh users like marissa mayer who's known for yahoo and the great work she did at google Mm -hmm. and other notable names so so how have you been able to you know one acquire consumers plus some of these you know more notable figures in 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 our society
1: yeah absolutely well it's super exciting when you hear about um people like marissa Mayer using the product because We actually don't know who uses the product until they tell the world (laughs) that they're using it. Because, I mean, you know, if you sign up and it's private, right? We're not obviously, you know, analyzing every person that signed up. So, so um, uh, um, you know, largely the user base has been growing organically. I mean, very early on, we said that we're not going to, we're not going to have a ton of money. We have to create a product that's going to be beautiful to use and spread by word of mouth where people love it and tell the world because we're not going to have hundreds of million dollars to do paid marketing. And really that's not sustainable anyway. So let's try and build a model where it's all about. We love it and share it. So that's really been the driver to what extent someone hears about it that's famous or celebrity or politician or just an average person. Um, we don't know, right? It's all done through word of mouth. So Marissa May is, is a great story because we only found out about, her being a, a user through a, another podcast, actually. So she was interviewed um, a few months ago and then at the, end, at, at the end they had this lightning round and said and asked her what are her five favorite apps and, and she said, you know, Uber, Yahoo, Finance, Gmail, and mentions TinyBeans. And so like, what? That's Amazing. like crazy. Um, Amazing. <laughs> so I reached out to her and she was responsive and I had a call with her and uh, yeah, she's a big fan. And they gave you a bunch of, you know, very valuable advice.
0: I um, sure get great product feedback. I mean, that's what's what she's known for.
1: Yeah, no, it's really good actually. And and then look, I um, and through through I guess our uh, travels, we've definitely heard other people using the product. Um, they have not made themselves public, so we can't. So so we definitely had other very big names, you know, approach us to uh, and tell us that they're using the product for a variety of different um you know reasons, but uh, they haven't gone public with it, so we can't tell. I would love to some really exciting names there but, but uh, i can't <laughs> i can't i can't for the reason of really the core business is all about privacy but maybe one day they'll want to tell you people about it and i think that's you know, what's telling about about i guess that what we built is that is that i think that proposition is really what's resonating is that often people say to me oh like well, i can just use facebook or i can just use instagram i can just use iPhotos or all the other sort of generic things i am like, you could but first of all it's all generic it's not private. Um, and second of all, it's not about your kids. This is entirely focused on your kids. These are your kids' lives and your family. So so if you want something super special and puts a smile on your day and the, presents you in this parenting child mindset, that we're for you. Um, if you think that you can get all that with generic WhatsApp, um, that's great. That's fine. So, um, so yeah, we're really about trying to ensure that people know that it's only about their kids and families' lives. And I think... To the privacy lens, that's becoming more prevalent, of course. But um, yeah, it's super interesting to see how people are adopting it and, and learning about tools like TinyBean.
0: So what do you think the, uh, and maybe this is happening now, when, as the child gets older, I, I mean, are you able to like, you know, pass along like a digital diary of, of their you know upbringing?
1: Um, we'd love to. I mean, it's interesting, right, because my kids are, are all a bit old. I mean, my, you know, I've got 16, 14, 11 and 8 year olds. And it's fascinating, like, my 14 year old would just like be in tiny beans for like an hour, just looking at photos of himself when he was younger. Um, and I guess, you know, these days, you know, kids especially uh, growing up far more vain than they were when I was a kid. I mean, I hated looking at myself. These kids love looking at themselves. <laughs> so, 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 um, they, uh, you know, they love looking at the, at, the, at their lives growing up. Right. Especially in this private um, setting. So, I mean, what's great about this is that, is that if I want to see photos of myself, I have to go to my parents' house and look at those old albums. And, and that's like the once a year experience, right? And you go, oh my God, remember those great times? Whereas this they can look at any time um, of day. So I definitely think that, you know, as they grow up, this will be even more valuable for them. Um, but what's interesting is also we're trying to offer more value to parents with, with older kids. Whereas today, I think that the value is really zero to six-year-olds. Uh, our mission is to really add a lot more value to the platform. Where if you've got a 13-year-old, we can help you, as opposed to an 18-month-old, we can help you too. We're not quite there yet. Um, I'm in no rush to build, you know, a a uh, incredible mission-driven company that hopefully lasts generations. That you know, as we grow up, you know, you know um, parents of different ages will want to use the platform, but we're not quite there.
0: What's the size of the company in terms of employees? And the other thing I thought was really interesting about Tiny Beats, you're publicly traded on the Australian Securities Exchange. So what's yeah. <laughs> employee number? And then talk about, you know, you're a publicly traded company over in yeah. Australia.
1: are fascinating, you? Hey? Oh, yeah. Very <laughs> unusual. Um, so so, so the, the employee count, we're about 25 people. Um, we're bringing on board a few more people now as we're building out the team, as we just sort of, sort of raised around, looking to grow in a couple of areas that's exciting. Um, but, uh, you know, 25, 30, pretty lean in terms of the stock exchange. Look, it's one of those things where we, um, we were looking to raise VCs in the U S um, you know, it wasn't an avenue that came um, it was, it was made available to us in terms of raising capital, but a lot of rejections and it wasn't something that was appealing. Um, the Australian stock exchange, you know, changed a lot of their laws to allow early stage companies to list and really as a means to, to, to raise capital. Right. So different to here, whereas obviously you need to be a certain size and it's more of an exit and a scale there, um, it was much more around just raising capital. So um, we, uh, we, we went um, again, like no path when you, when you're using money externally funded is easy. I've had lots of horror stories with entrepreneurs that have been seen also, also not having much fun. So I think, you know, I I saw the ASX as really just a means to raise capital um, and help us on the journey. It's definitely been an interesting experience, Um, you know, being a CEO of a publicly traded company 10,000 miles away, um, you know, the first two years is pretty tough, uh, but uh, the last six months has gotten a whole lot better as the business has grown, we've shown more, um, I guess, demonstrable value, we've definitely delivered a lot of goals, and I think um, the interest is much, much higher than ever it's been, um, which is wonderful, but really for me, it was just an avenue to grow um, in terms of the capital that we needed to continue the journey as opposed to anything else. I mean, we still have the same shares as we had when we first started the company, right? <laughs> uh, nothing's really changed, but what's interesting is that, and the other thing that's really positive is that our staff have liquidity, right? So we can issue shares that are in the real market as opposed to private companies do options and they're really not worth anything until you have a an external event, right? Whereas this makes it better. And also, it's we're transparent, right? So... You know, if we do business with anyone, they're like, well, what's your balance sheet like? How successful are you? Well, take a look, it's public, right? There's nothing, um, especially in our space, like companies come and go all the time. So it's nice, that's a positive that everything's public, that you have um, everything obviously available to, to, uh, to other companies to validate who you are. As long as you're doing well, clearly if you're not doing well, it's not very, it's not very positive. <laughs> but uh, we've tried to make an, an advantage, but it has its days, definitely.
0: So is this a, would you recommend this to other entrepreneurs as another, you know, funding vehicle alternative from traditional venture capital?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. I actually spoke to someone the other day um, about it and he was asking me a similar question. Look, it's interesting. I don't know if you're familiar with Life360. They're they're a U.S. entirely based company and they just went public on the ASX as well, Mm. like literally two months ago. Um, So I definitely have seen more U.S. companies list on the ASX. Look, it's a primary exchange, lots of sophisticated investors. It's obviously got international investors as well. And um, it's not as expensive as probably, you know, NASDAQ and NYSE. Um, it probably doesn't have the the, uh, the gravitas, of course, of those other exchanges. But if you want liquidity, you want capital. If you're a certain size and stage, it makes a lot of sense. Um, and you don't have to trade in, you don't have to go, I need to convert everything to Aussie dollars or anything like that. You can keep everything in US. So there's definitely seen more companies trade there. Um, but look, I don't know um, for us. I mean, it's, it's worked for us today. And I think it's, it's exciting to see where it goes in the future. Um, but you know, all our revenue is in the U S at the moment and most of our businesses here to what extent that stays on the ASX or otherwise we'll have to wait and see.
0: So you, your business is focused on a, you know, concentrated segment, of consumers, you know, mm-hmm. uh, parents that have newborns, like you said, probably up until about six years old. So uh, the Harvard Business Review wrote an article talking about the benefits of what they called, the acronym was MDM, Maximum Density mm-hmm. Market, and they referenced tiny beans. Uh, so instead of boiling the ocean saying, we're gonna be the Amazon of this, right? We're mm-hmm. gonna take over the world. W- what do you think the benefits are of having a business that is very concentrated in terms of the, you know, the focus consumer that you're going after?
1: I think I think that um the major the major you know, benefit and, and the major difference if you sort of take a step back and think about us as consumers I mean I think loyalty today is super tough I mean we, I mean we will flip on a brand within seconds these days purely from a better product a a better feeling a better you know way to engage a price like it's fascinating the way loyalty really works today and loyalty really stems from trust right so so, so really today in, in this market where, where competition is huge and basically um, you're, trying to, you're trying to figure out like how do you retain this client? Um, what we think is if you're able to build trust in our world with the most precious things in your life, i.e. your children, we think there's a huge amount of opportunity to then engage and monetize you for a long period of time. So, 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 so our whole business model is not about, oh, we need 100 million people and then maybe only like 0.1% come every day you know, I think we can be a massive business on like 5 million super active users because, um, you know, parents spend a huge amount on their kids, right? I mean, you know, I, I, I think last count was something like on average is like 25,000 a year, uh, excluding basically, um, you know, college, right? On everything you need for your child. Um, so, so if you take a small percentage of that and go, well, if we can help them and recommend certain things, um, especially leveraging the trust, because if we recommend something as opposed to a brand going to that user, they'll get much more conversion because we've recommended it. And I bet, and again, it's, you know, uh, our whole, I guess, you know, strategy is around if we have this wonderful trust with this user, we can then recommend certain things at various times and they're going to be much more engaged with that product than, you know, that product being recommended at random times unrelated to us. So the density of us is basically this hyper-focus and, I, you know, I think for us, you know, it's all about brands using platforms like Tiny Beans as a, you know, as a, as a, as a um, complementary to what they do everywhere else. So we wouldn't, we're not going to replace brands going to Google and Facebook, of course not, like I'm not planning to, but if they want to have a super engaged targeted experience of no wastage, meaning wouldn't you rather the right hundred thousand new moms than the, 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 the wrong, you know, 10 million parents. Um, and, and that's really the message we're trying to get out there. Some brands it resonate Two other brands are like, no, no, no. We just want reach. Just give us reach. And we're not a fit. Other brands are like learning going, you know, if we're able to build trust with these parents and over time build a brand of loyalty, then they can use us as the means to do that. And that's what the whole new strategy around MDM or what they've labeled MDM is about.
0: And how do you decide which brands to partner up with? I'm sure there are times that brands approach you like, wow, what a highly concentrated audience mm-hmm. dead on for what we want, but maybe it's not a fit for, you know, you being that trusted curator of things that your audience should be seeing. Like, so, so it's, sometimes it's hard to say no to revenue. So how do you make those? <laughs>
1: it is, I mean, especially as a growing company, look, I mean, uh, um, I think we've done a, a pretty good job. I think sometimes, um, I think we've gotten it wrong and sometimes we think it's right. and My users think it's wrong. Um, you know, it's a balancing act, right? I think, I think there are ones that we've rejected. We haven't made sense. I think ones that we've taken on board that we thought were great that some of the users were, were positive and some users are negative. Like you're never going to sort of please everyone. I think it's a journey. I don't think we've nailed it completely. There's no right or wrong. I also think that, um, it's not just the product clearly. It's what the brand represents. I mean, one thing was, I think we did something with a brand and then they had some bad PR in like one state in the country. And then we had all these complaints in that state. And it's like, but you know, that brand is a great product in that brand, right? So as you know, you're not gonna please everyone. Um, so, so I don't think we've got it right. I guess the, 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 the first principles we always go to, is this a brand that you know, users would benefit from knowing at certain ages and stages of their kids? And if it's a brand that they would benefit from, then we think that's okay. And sometimes you know, that's not okay for some people, sometimes it's okay for others. Um, and you know, we just have to take a stand. I mean, the, that's what the, that's what the, um, the ethos or the principles of the, of the company is and, and hopefully we'll please most and, and, um, and, uh, hopefully the few <laughs> will deal with it. Mm-hmm.
0: So what are you, uh, what are you listening to these days? Podcasts or what are you reading? Any book recommendations It could be business related or, you know, it could be, you know, more for fun.
1: Um, so, uh, so, so clearly you guys, right?
0: Uh, excluding the VentureFist <laughs> podcast, of course, yes. guys. <laughs> Um,
1: uh, I'm a fan of Guy Raz, uh, how I built this.
0: Um, yeah, he's my you know, mentor. I, he doesn't know that, but he is.
1: Yeah. I, I'm a big fan of his, um, I do listen, um, to, uh, um, Malcolm Gladwell as well. You know, big fan of, of his, of his, uh, of his, uh, you know, all his writing and reading, um, uh, in terms of books, um uh yeah, you know, I'm fascinated by uh, negotiation, fascinated by um uh how to influence people is a great book recently I, I read on negotiation written by a um a uh famous FBI negotiator, actually, and it sort of brought the um principles to sort of I'm gonna forget the name of it of course now, but but um maybe I can share it with you and you can put it into your notes later. Yeah, um yeah, uh, yeah, um and and one of my favorite books of all time is obviously Good to Grace. Um, and, uh, and, and The Great Game of Business by Jack Stack. I mean, they're sort of my fun ones. And uh, sorry, the professional ones. Fun ones, I don't know. I don't read a lot of fun books, although I am trying to convince one of my kids to, uh, to write a better dad joke book. I think dads get a bad break. I mean, I mean you know, the world of dad jokes, people think suck. And I, I want to, as a side pro, project, sort of change the, the perspective to go, actually, dad joke can be really fun. Um, so, uh, that's something I've started on the side, but who knows if I'll be able to finish it.
0: That's awesome. That's very cool. Uh, so never split the difference. Is that the, is that the book? Yeah.
1: That's the one. Well done.
0: Magic of well Google. <laughs>
1: oh, awesome. Awesome. Oh, it's a brilliant book. i tell you what, like highly, I don't know if you've ever read it. It's so good. like uh, I often, I often refer it, you know, back to it and it's got to do with like negotiation with your, you know, other half, with your kids, with work, with everything because it's like it's the most intense situations he's had to negotiate through. And you go like, oh my God, they're the most intense life threatening. And if, if he can do that in, that in that way and change the situation, you can do this with like, you know, obviously everyday interaction. So yeah, I love it.
0: What do you like to do for fun outside of work?
1: um uh so um uh i love working out um you know it's a lot of working out and um i've gotten into golf i used to play golf before kids and didn't for a long time and now playing golf again um so that's really good fun uh and uh yeah besides hanging out with the, the kids um you know not much more in between really um so uh i've gotten into spartan racing as well um i don't know if you've ever Mm-hmm. done that but, but i've gotten into some of that and trying to get a group of people to do a lot more of them so uh so yeah some people wouldn't constitute as that that is fun but but i do sadly
0: <laughs> well i'm I'm with you on the golf side so uh like my kids are a little bit older now they're 13 and 15 so you can actually uh-huh. duck out for a bit and, and oh that's you know, awesome play so it's the first year first summer that i've played more than a you know a small handful of times so
1: uh, very cool very cool yeah i'm hoping to get out with the kids I, I haven't as yet but they're keen to so yeah that's very cool
0: Very good well eddie thanks so much for taking the time to walk us through your background and your professional history and all the great things that you guys are up to with uh, tiny beans
1: sure well yeah it's been great chatting to you and, and obviously uh you know excited to to continue uh following you guys so thanks for having me on the
0: show